Hi, folks. Welcome back. This is number 59 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Jeremy's here. Randall's here. We are on Twitter, at BTYL Podcast, and we got a lot to talk about here tonight. A lot of optimism around Major League Baseball until about 4 o'clock this afternoon or so. Opening day postponed at least one more week, being pushed back to April 14 as the players and the owners can't get this thing figured out. Some takes on that that we want to get to. Uh, We have been mostly pro-player in here. I have a feeling one of our hosts today is going to be a little critical of some players. So I'm interested to hear where that goes. Uh, We don't want to dwell on the negatives too much. We've been talking so much about all this nonsense the last couple of weeks. Minor league spring training has started, and the Cubs have some talent down on the farm. So Randall's identified five pitchers. He's got an eye on. I'm sure there's some bats we can talk about as well. Uh, Kevin Alcantara, Pete Crow Armstrong, getting a lot of buzz the last couple of days. So we'll focus on the future Cubs a little bit. Some big time injury news impacting the 2022 Chicago Cubs bullpen. We've got some things there. And then number 59, I teased on the show last week. I get to talk about blisters today. And it's coming up when we talk about a former Cubs ball player who had an issue with blisters. So a hint for anybody who's been following this team in the last 30 years or so. Uh, But gentlemen, good to see you both tonight. Snowing heavily here in Denver, very, very cold. I want to start with some non-Cubs news, though. And I wish our audience could see my two co-hosts tonight. If they could see Jeremy Spector this evening, they'd see a man who is ready for Big Ten Conference tournament basketball, half of his face is blue, the other half is orange, he's got an Illini hat on, an Illini coat on. If my Hoosiers can beat old Slappy McGee tomorrow and Juwan Howard in Michigan, Indiana gets to see Illinois. That would be kind of fun. It's a Big Ten champ, Illinois. I I think you forgot the uh, (laughs) champ is all you need. I mean, I'll take Big Ten co-champ, fine, but also number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. So... Big Ten champion, University of Illinois, and uh, you know what? I'm I'm ready to you know play the Hoosiers. If it's if it's not, or I'll play Michigan. I'll play whoever comes because I know we're the champions. We're the defending Big Ten tournament champions. So it's all going to go down in Indianapolis this weekend. Well, nothing gets. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Randall. Now I think if Illinois and Indiana do end up playing each other, Ronan, you love nothing more than a good wager with whatever mm-hmm. happens to be within arm's reach. I would think you and Jeremy need to come up with some sort of gentleman's wager here. And I would not deign to suggest what you might wager upon or what you might wager with, but I I would think someone with your wagering background would be all over that. Some sort of wager between you, the Hoosier and Jeremy, the Illini. Well, I'm always down for it. I like a good bet. Uh, But first things first for the Hoosiers, they got a tough one tomorrow. Michigan's got their, again, slappy head coach back uh, after his long suspension. So it should be interesting. Hoosiers have always struggled historically in the Big Ten tournament, um, even though it's back in Indianapolis this year. I've got lots of bad memories of Indiana getting screwed at the Big Ten tournament or last-second shots costing them games. But I was kind of laughing. I like the Big Ten. It's my favorite conference. I'm a Hoosier. Jeremy, you're an Illini. We grew up with Big Ten basketball. Um, It's the preferred football and basketball that I watch when I'm watching college sports. But I was just sort of chuckling, like, you want to get in the mood? You want to get excited for this is March? What screams that more than Nebraska Northwestern and Minnesota Penn State to get things going? But I did see the Cats pulled it off, so good for them. A nice comeback by Northwestern. But, yeah, Nebraska Northwestern basketball. I mean, that's Big Ten basketball at its finest right there. That's what I think of. Welcome to March. Sorry, I do want to shout out Nebraska basketball. 
thank you for everything. I mean, your takedown of Wisconsin, yeah, beautiful. You did your job last week, and I don't care what else the rest of you do. So I'm just happy you took down Wisconsin, allowing us to be Big Ten champions. No easy games in the Big Ten Conference, even the schools that are supposed to stink or are having a bad year. And, uh, yeah, helped out the Illini there. Uh, anyone but Purdue is sort of how I'm feeling going into this. But I'd like to see Indiana beat Michigan, get a shot at the Illini. You beat Michigan, there's a faint hope it may be an NCAA appearance, still probably not. You beat the Illini, you're in. So Hoosiers have an entire season to play for. Another thing, though, that's pissing me off, tomorrow's game, Thursday, 9.30 in the morning, the start for me here in Denver. That's insane. But conference tournament basketball, games all day, especially on Thursday. It just sucks for an Indiana fan that I'll be eating breakfast here and the game's going to be starting. Not ideal on a work day. Yeah, and the Illini, and if you win, you play again at 10 or 9.30 your time yeah. on Friday because that's when the Illini are scheduled to play. I got emails from the uh, Indiana Alumni Association out here in Denver, and they're like, yeah, no watch party Thursday, no watch party Friday. The restaurant that they go to, which is about three blocks from my apartment here, it doesn't open until 11. So can't even put these games on and make it work. Maybe the Hoosiers in a miracle get to Saturday, and I don't know, it'll be Iowa or Rutgers or somebody they'd be playing at that point. But this is a fun time of the year, even with baseball all messed up, and Big Ten tournament always has my attention. Yes, I think they should put the game on a tape delay for you. You shouldn't be forced to watch sports during breakfast. It, it, it's just not natural. A little easier on the non-work days, but a full day tomorrow. So we'll see how it goes. But maybe Indiana pulls that out. But Jeremy's ready to go. He's got the blue and orange. Randall, also dressed up for the occasion tonight. One of his heroes having a big week here. The Batman out. Jeremy went to see it. Randall, I know you're excited to see it, but uh, nice to see you in a cape tonight. Get ready for your dude's big movie. Not, not just a cape. I have the cowl and I have the utility belt as well. It has anti-Ronin spray, just in case. Well, you guys know I'm not big comic guys or, or those superhero type movies, but maybe this is one that I'll check out at some point. Uh, I like Star Wars, like a little bit of Lord of the Rings stuff, but not really into the Marvel stuff. And uh, Batman is Marvel or DC? DC. Okay, yeah, see, I don't know what I'm talking about. A big Obi-Wan trailer, though, today, so yep. uh, you got that coming for you. But I do think I do think you should check out this uh, Batman. I think it's more up your alley than other uh, yeah. comic book hero flicks would be. Although, you got to be careful with uh, up your alley when you're talking about Batman. That, that's how we got Batman, is someone oh. went up an alley and it went poorly. That's true. I get that reference, poorly. Randall, so I know that much at least. But a lot of excitement around the Batman right now. And I was laughing that that's the name of the film, The Batman. It was very Ohio State vibes I got from the name yeah. of the series like this. You kind of got to tweak it, and I guess this time it's The Batman. The Batman University. Well, Batman was taken. Batman with a number of uh, additional words was taken, including forever, returns, begins, and so on. So at some point, you just got to go the Ohio State University and put a the in front of it. We're trying to distract ourselves from what is a mess in Major League Baseball, the ongoing fighting between the players and the owners. And we mentioned at the top of the show, at BTYL Podcast, that's our Twitter handle. We put out a poll earlier this week. I love the question. I'm always talking 2000s Cubs. That's sort of top of mind for me. So here's the question that we put out there. One run game going into the ninth, which 2000s Cubs closer are you putting out there to finish it off? Jeremy shared his thoughts, said KW, always a carry Wood guy. The four options we had was Wood, Flash Gordon, Joe Borowski, Ryan Dempster. Randall, who'd you pick? 
I picked Kerry Wood and I'm looking at the results of this poll. Poor Flash Gordon getting absolutely no love. Big old zero on there on the poll results. Well, I've been thinking about that and I want to defend Flash Gordon. But before that, I agree. I think Kerry Wood, 2008 Kerry Wood, of all of those guys, that was awesome. And maybe it's just because we're all big Kerry Wood guys and we were cheering for him, all the injuries. He converts himself into a reliever, then emerges as one of the top closers in the National League on a dominant Cubs team, at least until the postseason. Kerry Wood closing games, that is awesome, given his character arc as a Chicago Cub. Absolutely. Who who doesn't love watching Kerry Wood pitch? Who doesn't love watching a good, hard-throwing closer go out there and throw fastballs by people to close out the game? You put those two things together, that was easily one of the most fun closers we've seen the Cubs have in the last 10, 20 years. Well, it's more than 10 years now. Last 20 or 30 years to see Kerry Wood, of all people, going out there and becoming this great closer. And again, I love, I love watching a good closer uh, especially perhaps maybe only when he pitches for the Cubs. And again, to see Kerry Wood go out there and do that in a, uh, a division title season, that was great. Oh, that actually surprises me a little bit that Randall, you, you said you love watching a good closer. I feel like you'd hate it when a closer's on the mound, you know, too well, much I, tension, too I, much. You know, that's, that's true. That's true. It's just as, it's just as good when the Cubs play their, uh, their favorite game from 2016. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it, we'll keep it PG 13 yeah. here, Ronan. I know you don't like PG 13, but we'll keep it PG 13 sure. here at screw the closer. Um, but you know, if the closer is going to be out there, you might as well watch them work. But Jeremy, you do raise an excellent point. Yeah. Uh, a, a game in which your mop-up guy is pitching and probably can't blow the game. It's nice to have those every so often. I picked Kid K. I mean, I love Kid K, obviously, and I'm calling him Kid K, Kerry Wood. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think you want a guy who's going to get you a strikeout, right? Yeah. I mean, and Kerry Wood's going to get you strikeouts. Surprisingly, he had kind of a higher ERA that year for a closer in the threes, but his FIP was probably the lowest of any of the guys uh, on that list, mostly because he got a lot of strikeouts. Um, my other option was probably Joe Borowski. I, I thought Joe Borowski mm. obviously pitched pretty well in 2003, um, but I want more of the strikeout king. So give me Kerry Wood. He's going to strike a guy out, and that's what I want. You know, the end of his time in Chicago got rough with regards to Ryan Dempster. We've grown tired of him a bit as a broadcaster as well. <laughs> Are we selling him short, though? Because he was a pretty competent closer in his run in that role for the Cubs, uh, in addition to all the starting that he did. No, he was solid. I mean, he, he, he that one year, he had, what, 33 out of 35 saves, and then the two blown saves, the Cubs ended up winning anyways. I I, I do think – I just think that he, there was a little, you know, a little much traffic when uh, you know, Ryan Dempster was on the mound. Like, he was putting some more guys on base. It was just – I thought he was better in 08 as, obviously, the starter. He was an ace of that staff pretty much. Yeah. Um, The one guy we're kind of missing who didn't really qualify would be, like, Carlos Marmol because he yeah. was a setup man when he was dynamite, and the year he finally became a closer was, like, 2010. So, you know, but uh, dynamite Carlos Marmol in 2007 would probably be my pick for the best late-inning reliever. Jeremy, you're certainly not wrong. Ryan Dempster, uh, his season as the Cubs closer 2007, in which he saved 28 games, uh, he had a, a whip, walks, hits per innings pitch, 1.335. So he was putting on uh, almost a base runner and a half every inning. So you are very much not wrong. Ryan Dempster did have just a little bit too much traffic on the bases, but he usually got it done and good for him. 
Yeah. Well, I need to defend Flash Gordon here because he got zero votes on our poll. And he was the Cubs closer primarily in 2001, a little bit of 2002. Flash Gordon's time in Chicago, he was good when he played for the most part. He was injured a lot. 2001, he missed the first month of the year. He missed the last month of the year. But when he was with that team, he was actually really good. Uh, wanted to pull out some stats on Flash Gordon to try and justify it. There weren't too many eye-popping things. He had a stretch of 15 consecutive converted saves at one point in the year. So that's a good thing for a closer. But I picked maybe the apex or the top game that he was a Chicago Cub. Going back to June 26, 2001. Cubs beat the Mets 4-2 in front of 37,800 at Wrigley Field. Tom Gordon, in the ninth, faced three batters, struck out three batters, and secured the win for John Lieber, who improved to 9-4. and four. Cubs pitchers that day, John Lieber started, 7-3, two runs, four strikeouts, no walks. Pretty classic John Lieber at that time with the Cubs. Kyle Farnsworth comes in, faces one batter, strikeout. Jeff Facero comes in. Faces one batter, eight pitches, ground out, and then Tom Gordon comes in, gets his 13th save, striking out the side in the ninth inning. So pretty badass there. Cubs improved to 45 and 30. Mets dropped to 33 and 45. Not a very good Mets team, but one of those great moments on a rare Tuesday afternoon at Wrigley Field. It was common back then in 2001. Don't really see a lot of Tuesday afternoon games anymore at Wrigley Field, but uh, about 38,000 at the ballpark to see Flash Gordon strike out the side. Get the win for Johnny Lieber. That's a very 2001 pitching box score to go from yeah. Lieber to Farnsworth to Facero to Gordon. If, if I were to ask you to make up your own 2001, like like write a fictional box score, what four pitchers yeah. are going to get into that game? Probably four names you'd put in there. I, I'm a little surprised you didn't put uh, April 2001 Jeff Facero on the list with his nine saves sure. in the month of April. Yeah. Or uh, LaTroy is our boy, man. He had some moments for sure. He had uh, the, per the perfect inning, the golden inning or whatever you call that with the nine strikes. Yeah, nine strikes, three strikeouts, uh, September mm -hmm. 11, 2004 against the Marlins at Wrigley Field. Um, going back to that Cubs-Mets game, though, in 2001, a couple of ex-Cubs played in that game for the New York Mets. If you were thinking, okay, 2001 New York Mets, ex-Cubs, give me a name here, Jeremy. I see the wheels turning for you. Trying to think of a name, 2001. I mean, did like Turk Wendell get in that game? Turk Wendell pitching in relief, two thirds Turk of an Wendell. inning, two strikeouts. So, yes, good call there. A couple of batters in that lineup for the New York Mets as well. Uh, Want to see if you can get any of them. Brian McRae, was he still around? No, then? no, that's a good guess. That's, that's a great guess. He didn't get in that game. Jay Payton was the center fielder for the Mets that day. So, no Brian McRae in center field. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. When we're saying ex ex Cubs, yeah. are did they are they players that had already played for the Cubs or became so, Cubs? Yeah. So of the batters in the lineup, one of them was previously a Cub. The other was a Cub. Because I'm thinking like later. Ray Ordonez, who Ray Ordonez, as a for Cub three in that game. Yeah, shortstop for the New York Mets. He was hitless that day. The other one played first base for the New York Mets. When I think of his time as a Chicago Cub, uh. Third base sort of bounces to the top of the list a little bit more for me. Um, he was a Cub in the mid-1990s. Willie Green? No, <laughs> I'm no. just picking up a yeah. third baseman. I'm, uh, I'm trying to think who, who like, third base. Jose Hernandez? No, no. no. This one, um, he had a very long career, 16 years in the major leagues. Wow. 
He, after his time with the Cubs, played for just about everybody. Prior to his time with the Cubs, he was with St. Louis for a long time. Oh, Todd Zeal. Todd Zeal. Good yeah, call. I, I don't, the, yeah, I, I should have gotten that one. I, I knew he was on the Mets in 2000, 2001. I got one more question from this game. There was somebody that played in that game for the New York Mets who has an iconic moment in Cubs history, not good Cubs history. It was a loss that the Chicago Cubs played in the year before against the New York Mets. Is there a name, Jeremy, that maybe comes to mind? The game was not played in the United States. There's a pretty good hint. Benny Agbayani? Benny Agbayani in the lineup for the Mets that day. What I'm referring to, game two of the 2000 season, Cubs, New York Mets in Tokyo, Benny Agbayani hitting an extra inning grand slam to beat the Cubs in day in game two. Uh, deflating moment for a pretty interesting major leaguer, Benny Agbayani. Yeah, you know, the Hawaiian dude. I, I just remember yeah. him hitting a grand slam. I, I actually kind of forgot that was an extra innings. I just remember him hitting mm-hmm. a killer grand slam. And, you know, that was just fun, you know, being 13 years old, waking up at four in the morning, excited for opening day in Tokyo. Like, I want to get that excitement back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it was a bomb to center field. Tom Brenneman was on the call. Woof, right? Woof. That's a guy whose career hasn't aged well here. I couldn't remember who gave up the Grand Slam. And I was watching the highlight a little bit earlier today. A left-hander by the name of Danny Young was the pitcher for the mm-hmm. Cubs who gave up that slam. And when I think of the 2000 Cubs, Danny Young's about the last name that would come to my mind. I mean, there's some random 2000 Chicago Cubs the Andrew Lorraines of the world, the Mark Guthrie's of the world, Felix Redia still being around. Danny Young, don't really remember that guy. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any memory of a Danny Young. That doesn't. I do remember though. Just being a broadcaster, I remember like Chip was out there, mm-hmm. and I remember that being a thing. You know, working nationally for Fox Sports, and I also remember about that series them showing like video of like Mark Grace like riding, you know, the bullet the the not bullet train, but the the subway in Tokyo, like to ride to the ballpark and other players and just towering basically over everybody that was there. Yeah, that's good stuff. It was fun though. It was an iconic moment for us being as young as we were in 2000 and just seeing the Cubs playing out of the country and happier times, right? Cubs were uh, not a very good team in 2000. They were coming off a 90 plus loss season in 1999, but they had Sammy, they had Grace. There were guys. It was a good time. Carrie and Wood. most importantly, they play baseball, right? That game was happened in March. We are in March and there's no baseball. So let's get into a little bit here with the contract negotiations between the players and the owners uh, all day. It seemed like we were getting close to a resolution here. The big things that the owners and the players have been fighting about the CBT uh, salaries for first year players, they're inching towards agreeing, right? It's very, very close at this point. And then seemingly the conversation just dissolved as we got into the afternoon. And one of the big sticking points on that was Major League Baseball's insistence to overhaul the draft and international draft, something that doesn't exist right now. Randall, this sucked today because I really thought we were getting close to something. And now here we are again with another week of baseball delayed and opening day pushed back to at least April 14th. Well, Ronan, I, I completely understand what you're saying, that it sucked. It, it did not suck for me because I have no expectations at this point, none. And I know very much what's going on, and that is that the owners are content to feed certain narratives to certain reporters 
who then disseminate it. And the players are coming out and saying this as well. Now that they have their voice in their direct line, they're coming out and saying, look, this was never discussed. It was never offered. And the owners are putting this out there to make it seem like we are the sole ones holding back a deal. It's, it's a textbook public negotiating tactic. It's dirty pool. And I think it very much muddies the waters. And Jeremy, I know you have your thoughts on what well, the I players... mean, what you said isn't accurate, but that's okay. I know the players have, never like a... said the players never said it was never offered. Okay, well they they said that it had not been discussed to the extent that MLB is claiming that they offered it. And MLB is again, they're muddying the waters by claiming like this is the only holdup that the players really want and yeah, we 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 all know what's going on. And Jeremy, I know you have your thoughts. You 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 jumped in with your thoughts regarding what the players should and shouldn't do at this point. But I have no expectations. I have no expectations at this point. None. If you told me the entire season is in jeopardy at this point, I, I would believe you. Don't say that. Well, I, 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 well, I hope not. I don't really hope that. Personally, I think that, I mean, I was very, like you, Ronan, very optimistic. And it wasn't just because of certain writers that got, you know, fed whatever lines, you know, like whoever. Um, I was optimistic because all the reporting from all the, you know, guys we've all been saying to follow has put up what the players' offers were. I mean, obviously, there's way more information that we're not privy to. And so for that, like we can't comment on anything, Um, but the owner's proposals and the player's proposals from what we have known from Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passan, all the are very close together, very close together. And the fact, and if they can't find a deal over that, to me, that's ridiculous for how close they are. And so I thought there was legitimate movement. I, the owners made legitimate now. Do I think the owner's offer is a great offer, a good offer? No, I think the no matter what, pretty much the players are going to get worked over. Um, so, but there's a deal like it's insane to me because there's a deal there because it's so close, and I think it is close. It's so close. So for them to be to taking and I don't get me wrong, I don't want anybody to get me wrong. I'm not necessarily I'm not like on the owner's side here. I think the owners have done like the players' most recent proposal. I think is the most fair thing. So I don't understand why the owners wouldn't take that. It came after their deadline. Who cares? I'm obviously, you know, they probably lost a few owners to accept that, you know, Manfred probably worked up to get 23 owners to make it this far. And when it didn't get accepted, like other owners probably backed out, but it's like, it's right there. It's there. You have to assume the owners are bad actors. Like you have yeah. to assume that you can't negotiate with them, not assuming they're bad actors. So like, it's one thing to to say we did all this right, but then at the end of the day, you're still standing there like, okay, you're just playing to public perception, and that's not necessarily the best thing when in the you're not gonna have a season, and next thing you know, like you're fighting in April, you're fighting in May for because the, the deal's gonna get a lot more complicated. If there's missed games, you're gonna have to argue over back pay, you're gonna have to argue over how many scheduled games there are, it's gonna get a lot worse. So to me, it's like they need to find a deal like as quick as possible. And I see this from people a lot. I don't know if it's naivete. I don't know if it's optimism. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, trying to maintain an objective face. People keep saying, oh, you know, hopefully you can find common ground with the owners. You can get them to agree. You can't shame the shameless. 
There are people who still think the owners owners are negotiating in good faith, and they're very clearly not. All of the stuff we're saying about how they have to find an agreement, they don't have to, because I don't think the owners are all that interested in finding an agreement. Like I said, you can't shame the shameless, and you can't have good faith negotiations with parties who aren't negotiating in good faith. So my, my optimism at this point is completely out the window. Well, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I, I'm skeptical of all the owners, and, and I, I'm skeptical of what they want. I think, you know... I agree with you. Last week, I don't think I think there are many owners that don't want to play April baseball, but the owners also made movement. So it's not like they're not making movement. I think Manfred got them to make movement. And it's hard for us to know who's negotiating good faith or not, because we're not privy to obviously all the information. I think if they were truly not negotiating good faith, we don't know. Maybe I think at some point that the players would have to make an actual claim to like the national labor relations board or put this in to the hands of a court or government. Cause like, you know, but you know, at some point, like a deal has to be made that a deal has to be made at some point, if we ever want to get baseball again. So, so at some point there has to be some sort of compromise and the players have chips to compromise with, like they've chips to bargain with and maybe, so they have to know what is, you know, what is a bargaining chip and what there is to like really hold it. And the players have made a lot of, they removed a ton of their ass. So right now they're not even asking for like all of their things. So to me, it's like, there has to be a deal here. And if they're not getting a deal in the future, the players, it's going to be so much harder for them. And I just see them like, if I was a player right now, I would just be furious at everybody. I'd be furious at the owners. I'm not privy to everything. So I don't know everything. But I would be mad that our union, like, we're not kind of getting there because it seems to me, and I could be completely wrong and everything, but it seems to me like the union is kind of taking stance of a certain sect of players over maybe like, and and I and there's probably a lot of players that agree with them, but like, I think there's a whole, you know, widespread thing here, like, I don't know, this international draft, like, I think it's a terrible thing, right? I don't think it's a good thing for baseball, but the way that everything is the international amateur spending right now is terrible. It's awful. Right. The hard caps on, on talent. It's terrible. Like there's going to probably be more spending in international draft than the current hard caps. The, you know, Buscanos and trainers and signing kids at 13 years old. Like it's all terrible. And now MLB should do more for that. They should, they're in the wrong on that. But at some point, something has to change there as well. Right. Something does need to change there, but that, that, that does not mean that the players just have to agree with what the owners propose to them because They've made concessions in other areas and they're getting closer on these other things that you're talking about, like the CBT and first year salaries. No, but what the owners did was dirty. And what I mean by that is that they've repeatedly set these arbitrary deadlines. We either work this out today or we are canceling another week of the season. Now, when both sides are getting close and reporters are saying, hey, this thing is, is kind of going in the right direction. The owners make this drastic overhaul to an extremely sensitive process here. What do you do with international players? 30% of players on opening day rosters last year were not American. These guys have a very, very vested interest in that. It's been a personal experience for them. And what the owners did today is they said, here are three options, take it or leave it, or we're putting games away. I'm glad the players said, screw you today. I'm not glad the season's getting delayed another week. I'm not glad we're not going to have baseball here until at the best, the middle of April. But as a player's union, you cannot allow the owners to make such a drastic change like that with very little time to discuss it and properly vet it. And that was a dirty tactic by the owners and it was intentional. So I'm glad the players told them to screw off today. 
Ronan, I'm with you in that regard. Uh, international signings, international draft. It's a very sensitive topic. Jeremy, you touched on this. The, 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 the trainers, the, the, in the, in the trainers in some of these countries who the, the tactics, the, the procedures are not really above board. There's a lot of issues that go into international signings and international drafts. And as Ronan said, you can't overhaul all of that in one day. You, you can't tie that extremely sensitive, extremely complicated issue where there are very legitimate arguments for both sides as, as, to, as opposed to having one versus not having an international draft. You can't do that in one day and you can't make that, it's not the sticking point, but you can't make that the biggest thing stopping you from getting an agreement done. And I agree with Ronan that seemingly bringing this in this late in the negotiations seems like a, an intentional torpedoing of the process. Here's what I'm going to say. First of all, I, I mean, I, it does seem to me that like the owners had brought up the international draft plenty of times because it's been reported for months that the owners have been trying to, you know, tie the international draft to draft cup pick conversation. I remember one of the first offers like from six months ago was that now the players have declined it every single time. So I understand that perspective where they're like, every time it's been brought up, we've said no. So we haven't really discussed it, which makes sense to me. But I mean, if there was the option, first of all, to like, I realize it'll be in three years down the road, but like, uh, excuse me, having only a labor deal for three years, but there's been labor deals for less than three years. There's been labor deals for two years in the past. So it's not like an unheard of thing if they had to reopen it later. So it, this isn't a thing that's going to be instituted today. It's going to be instituted in 2024. Second of all, as, as much as it hurts me to say it, and there, the Players Union has a history of doing this, none of these people are union members. The player has an obligation to their union members to make the best deal for their union members. I don't even know if the players even have the ability and the right to really be negotiating what is best for non-union members. I mean, it has a, an effect on spending, so maybe they do, but the players have sold out American amateur prospects for years because they know that those are not union members. They're not union members. It's not in their interest to necessarily represent them. It's not for them. So... But I think something from the players that has been different this time from previous negotiations, and they've gotten hammered in the last couple of negotiations, there's been a constant theme of it's not just about our group. It's about the next generation of baseball players and leveling things out. So they absolutely have an interest in what's going on with things like drafting because the draft does kind of tie into other compensation for current major league teams and how that impacts free agency. So this is absolutely fair game, I think, to talk about it. Why would Max Scherzer be here if it wasn't about the next generation of baseball player? No, He's not I, I, benefit from what's happening right now. It's the guys that are 12 years old in the Dominican Republic right now or in rural Florida that are going to be the next generation of major league stars. But Max, Max Scherzer is, is arguing for union members. He's arguing for uh, when he's when they're making offers. Everything they're doing is for paid dues members of the union, like pre-arbitration. These are all guys, no matter who they are, they're all players that will be in Major League Baseball when the, when it's a minimum salary. Those are players that will be in Major League Baseball. When a player signs a contract to as an amateur talent, he is not a union member. Right. So no matter what he he is, like if he gets drafted, he does not automatically go onto the 40-man right. roster because union member. So he's those are different. Those are not arguing for – there's a difference between those because all those players are not union members. So, and I don't like, 
it's I don't know. And I mean, look, I'm not for international draft. I think it'll be bad. That's, I, I mean, I don't think it'll be necessarily bad, but I don't, I don't think it's good. But however, it's completely messed up now. And to me, I don't really think it should be the thing that is holding up this. I think it's a bad decision by the players. I think it's going to actually harm them in the long run because if they're not getting a deal done as soon as possible, I don't think it's going to be good for them. I think they're playing directly into the owner's hands. Jeremy, I, I think you have a valid point that the players that you feel that the players are letting perfect be the enemy of viable. And I think that's a valid perspective. But in, in talking about who Max Scherzer is is negotiating for right now, who he's arguing for right now, Max Scherzer is a pretty thoughtful guy. There are a lot of pro athletes out there who every time they talk, you, you kind of just wish they didn't. Scherzer, for the most part, is a pretty thoughtful guy. And we know how involved he is with the union and with the labor discussions. If it would not surprise me if we were to ask Max Scherzer, we should get him on the pod, by the way, Max sure. Scherzer appear on BTYL. If he were to take this perspective that he knows he's not just arguing for his union members, he's arguing for guys who will be members of this union in three years, four years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And he knows that his union right now has an opportunity to hopefully make changes that he, and, and I know, I know what you're going to say. Maybe that's they're completely not wrong. To, <laughs> well, and they're not going to, they're not going to achieve monumental progress right now, but they can make steps that will make it easier for the next union reps to make that progress. And I don't necessarily fault him for taking that perspective. I mean, it might be what he's thinking. I don't know. I'm not going to argue and say it's not what he's thinking, but the union represents its own members. The union is not right. in the place to represent people who will are not members who, I mean, like I'm saying, like when but you're, they are, then, but they are talking not. about, but they are talking about future members in the sense if you're talking about but you're not you're talking about non-members right but i'm saying that there is an interest in players the major league baseball players association is representing players right now that are not currently in the major league baseball players association by looking for increased salary for first year players four years from now those guys are not in the union right now but they want more entry-level money for guys that will be in the union Yes, I agree. They're not in the union right now, right. but they are arguing for union members. Those are union members because those players, no matter what, will be in the union because they are union members. Players that are going to get drafted are not union members because there will be many of them, the majority of them, that will not ever be in the union. So they're not necessarily arguing. There's a difference there. There's a. am sorry. But it, it might be a technical difference, but it is a difference because those are players that are going to be in the union 100%. They are in the union. They are baseball, Major League Baseball players. But the draft impacts the union as well in the way that Major League teams spend money and how qualifying offers are tied into this. This directly impacts union players. I know, so there is a correlation. It's why they're talking about it. They wouldn't talking be talking about it because about the, it. the reason they're talking about it is because the owners want to cap their own spending. Like the owners are just trying to get it in no matter what. I don't necessarily think it's in the union's place to actually be arguing this because I'm not sure all the laws and the rules, but I, you have to find another labor lawyer, but I've heard from certain, from definitely from certain labor lawyers, it's not really the union's place. They should not even be negotiating on this topic. The, the owners are actually, it's in the wrong for this to even be a discussed topic. And you know what? I think that's an interesting way to look at it. For my, for my money, it seems to me that the point of any labor union is to make conditions better 
for not just members of your union, but again, people who will be a part of your union. And I, I understand. I understand you don't agree with that. And that's fine. It just seems to me that and, and you know, and that would be a great question, that, but that's not what it is. And that's and that's fine. And that's fine. I, I completely understand your viewpoint. I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just that for my money, I don't fault the current players for trying to make things better for players who will be in this union in, in maybe longer from now, maybe not all that long from now. And I understand if you're saying that doing that is holding up the, the present from advancing. And that's a perfectly valid viewpoint. I understand. I'm just saying I don't fault the union for thinking as they are if that's the way they're thinking. In negotiations as tense as this, and it's nasty between the players and the owners, and it's been nasty for many, many years. You can't give anything to either side. And I think the, the real problem with all of this is, yes, they've had conversations about drafts going back to previous CBAs. Owners have wanted international drafts for many, many years now. But at this sort of 12th hour, at this self-imposed deadline that Major League Baseball owners set themselves, they institute this major overhaul that you knew the players weren't going to be able to sign off on. I don't think the owners are acting in good faith. I don't think the owners give a damn whether or not there's a single Major League Baseball game played in the month of April. So if you're not entering the conversation in good faith, I don't want to see the players just signing off on things that deserve a more nuanced or detailed conversation. And it feels like this was sort of hammed in there by the Dick Monfords of the world, knowing that the players weren't going to take it. And now the owners can say, look, we were so close. The players blew it. It's their fault. And that's I, yeah. sort of a narrative that's percolating these days. It's possible, but like, first of all, like I said, I mean, internet, I mean, I, I, I'm sure the players hadn't actually gone in depth on the international draft. I mean, but it had been in there previous times. Um, the other thing to say, like, if you believe that they don't want to play April baseball games, mm -hmm. I, I really think like you're playing into their hands by making it for them easier to not play April baseball games, which is just going to make it way more complicated down the line. So they should for take them to a worse deal just to play games. It's in not April? necessarily a worse deal. First of all, it's it, the deal is there. First of all, basically on everything they're right there on pretty much everything. Except then this they were, big thing, this big thing, which doesn't honestly really affect them, which isn't really i'm not not sure i to be honest i was totally shocked that it actually ended up this way because i thought the whole thing to be honest was mostly posturing by sides because i thought both sides really kind of realized they probably shouldn't even really be discussing this and it's not a real it's not even a real thing because i mean to say it it's not representing union members so like major league baseball i thought well we're just going to try to get this in see what happens and the union was like well oh, posture but at the end of the day like whatever because it's not you know our thing so i'm actually a little surprised at what as hard as it did. I think the Latin players got really upset about it. And I understandably why, because it's going to totally affect the investment into their countries. And I think that really kind of held the, the union kind of at bay for what they had to do. And I think, you know, there are options, there are options. Like, first of all, I don't really think it's that big. Of a deal. I don't think it's something that this whole thing should be torpedoed over. So for me, I probably would have accepted it. Um, for them, I understand that. And there were, there were options. Now the best option, like I said, is the players were proposal, like give us the year. And if it's not that we don't agree to it, then we'll just go back to normal. But, you know, there was an option for that to be in three years, like give us the year and then the, the lockouts will, or excuse me, then the CBA will rediscuss a new CBA. And if you don't want to, you know, 
if you thought you deserved more time to discuss an international draft, that seems like a perfectly viable option to me. Because I think this is going to play out. I think the whole players made a major mistake, and I think I think it's going to end up a lot worse for them. In what way? I don't think I think I think so baseball's canceling all these games, right? And that's all just a negotiation tactic, whatever. Like, because there has to be the baseball can't implement a 162 game schedule on their own. It has to be agreed upon. The problem is eventually you're going to get to a point on the schedule where you can't play 162 games. Eventually, like, I don't think we're at that point today, but we're getting close to it. So eventually to get back onto baseball, not only are you going to have to agree to all of these issues, which are still in flux, you're then going to have to make an agreement. How many games do we play? Do players get full years of service time? Do players get back pay that they're owed for missing games? These are all going to have to be topics that are discussed and, and agreed upon. And I think the player, the owners are going to be very hard on that. And I think the more time we miss, the more likely it is we miss more time. I think the more, because I think it's going to be way more difficult to get a deal. I, I don't think you're going to get, and right now, like the players, all of their big ass revenue sharing, you know, getting players to arbitration, they gave them all up. They gave them all up, which fine. But that instantly me that they wanted to get a deal done. And they're right there on the doorstep of getting a deal done. If they were asking for these major overhauls to the game of baseball, to the way of CBA, I would be right there. I'd say, hey, man, you're asking for major overhauls. I understand why you're putting out. But to me, it's not enough right now. I, an international draft? That that's not enough to really stand on missing. I'm sorry, that's my opinion. Missing as much time as we are, and and I'm sure the players, I'm sure the owners tried to screw them. I, I guarantee you're right. I, I'm on your side with this. I'm sure there was last minute language. I'm sure they tried to pull a fast one. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff to do, and it, it kind of warms me to see that they're still talking. You know, because I just I think be they're talking. right there on the they're right there on the doorstep. Right there, there's no reason a deal should not be getting done. The differences are so small. Except this big draft thing that got this kind big of draft thing, but like, the end. I agree. So but that's that's the that's it's not a little thing. When it's it not a little thing, that, but it, it obviously held things up. It obviously did, but I, I and I think you're kind of right. I do think it kind of helped things up just because you know I don't think the players were expecting it all to be on that, and I do think they didn't really get a chance to discuss it as much as they would like to, and they were forced to. So, but I, I think I don't think the draft thing is going to go the way that certain players want to go over. Overall, I think eventually the union will probably agree to that. Well, we'll see where this goes. Here's what we know as of today. The Cubs have lost uh, their first week of the year, which included a three-game series in Cincinnati. The home opener is part of a two-game set at Wrigley Field against the St. Louis Cardinals. A four-game set at home against Milwaukee, a team that's likely the favorites to win the division coming into the year. Two in Pittsburgh. And now opening day is tentatively... April 14, the Cubs here in Denver for the first of four against the Colorado Rockies. But who knows, right? We don't know whether or not those games are going to happen. Hopefully by the next time we're recording this, we'll have a little bit of clarity on did something get worked out? What's it going to look like? Will there be a way to get in 162 games and all the other stuff that goes into it? I got one more shot at the owners I'm going to take here, but Randall, I think you got something first. Yeah, is this our first or our second show in which we've said hopefully by next week Things will have gotten sorted out because like I'm months. sensing a, I'm sensing a very unfortunate pattern developing. I'm here. more I'm gonna be honest. I'm more frustrated. This I was last week. I was super mad. This week I'm just like way more frustrated. Yeah. Well, we all want baseball back. That's the root of this. 
we have our individual preferences on what the players win, what the owners compromise with in all of this. At the end of the day, we just want to see games again. We want to see this competitive Cubs team maybe, right? Like what do we have? What's Marcus Stroman going to look like in that rotation for the Cubs? Who's Kyle Hendricks? Is he the guy who really struggled last year? Or is he one of these ace pitchers who helped the Cubs win a World Series? All these interesting questions that we want to get into. Uh, what's Nick Adrigal going to look like? Is Nico Horner going to be able to play a full season? I want to see these storylines play out. And that's really at the root of all of this. Uh, let me, though, bitch about owners really quickly, and then we'll move into some positive Cubs news. Interesting tweet today from Eno Saris. He's national baseball writer with The Athletic. Pretty interesting Twitter account and follow. He tweeted me on Twitter. Today. Come on, come yeah. on the podcast, Enos. Yeah, yeah that would be an interesting well, we person invite Eno to reach out to. Uh, but teams in Major League Baseball now get $65 million a year each as part of revenue sharing for their national TV deals. So I just want to clarify, this is the money that every Major League Baseball team gets at the start of the season. This does not include national sponsorship money. So I don't know who the official beer of Major League Baseball is right now. I assume it's Budweiser. It's Budweiser. Yeah, whoever's the official beer, right? All of that money. Uh, revenue sharing from things like MLB TV and merchandise. So not including any of that, just national TV deals. Every team gets a $65 million check now in Major League Baseball. How many teams in Major League Baseball last year had a total payroll of under $65 million? Any guesses? I'll guess seven. I'm going to go five. Right there. Baltimore five. Orioles, Cleveland Indians, Pittsburgh Pirates, Miami Marlins. And if you want to tie in the Tampa Bay Rays, they're around $70 million. These are teams that basically had their entire Major League payroll covered by one check that comes in for Major League Baseball. That doesn't include local TV deals. That doesn't include local sponsorship. You go to a ballpark, the entire thing is covered in ads. It doesn't include uh, beer sales or ticket sales at the ballpark. These teams are pocketing money. That, that should not be allowed. You should not be allowed to have a Major League Baseball salary less than one of your revenue streams like that in regards to national revenue sharing across the sport. That's appalling. And what the Orioles are doing, what the Pirates are doing, what the Indians are doing, that should not be happening in Major League Baseball in 2022. So I needed to get a little jab in there on these greedy owners. I want you're exactly right. I mean, you're exactly right. I I I don't want people to think like I'm coming off as being, you know, pro owner or anything. But like I I, I just want to be as clear eyes for me for me as possible. But you're exactly right. And if you add, I think average of 40 million or something for local tv revenue so that's yeah. like a hundred million dollars before you, you sell a ticket you know a hundred million dollars before you sell a ticket dollar beer hey 20 25 30 dollar parking right you know you didn't even mention parking that that one of, one of my favorite stories was uh uh I, I it's in lords of the realm when the major league baseball when major league baseball in during the lockouts or strikes they like hey we're so poor and players said open your book so they actually opened their books, right? And they had uh, Stanford, um, I'm blanking on his name, but professor of economics who's now, you know, older older man now in his 90s. Um, he reviewed them all. And he got to, you know, the, you know, he was looking at them all and he said, and the player, and all, uh, excuse me, the teams were all like, look at all the money we've lost. Look at it all. Look at our books. We've lost so much money. And he's looking, he's like, like looks at the Cardinals and he's like, you don't have parking in here or concessions. And they're like, oh, well, that, that's that's owned by another company that the Bush family right. That's not owned by the Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> like they were just hiding things like that. Just totally. like parking concessions. That's owned by a separate company that's solely owned by the Bush family. Yeah. 
Well, it's like the Rockies here saying that McGregor Square across the street from Coors Field is a completely separate entity than the Colorado Rockies. They got an entire city block in Denver for $1 from the city in exchange for extending their lease agreement at Coors Field. You're telling me that's not related to the Rockies? That's pure insanity. You go into the hotel there too. It's called the Rally Hotel. They've got like bases and jerseys from the All-Star games that have happened here over the years. Pretty cool to see that. But the entire thing is Rockies themed. And I'm not talking about the mountains, talk about the baseball team. How they can say that that's not team revenue is absolute insanity. It seems to me that any team developing the neighborhood around their ballpark is able to get away with that without without a single without a single without having to justify it in the slightest. And the Cubs are doing it with the, their Wrigleyville development. Is there the Ricketts, of course, have bought up all this property. They've built up all these new things. And we know that money isn't going into revenue share. And we know that money isn't being counted as Cubs, even though it's the same ownership and it's being done more or less in the name of the ballpark. It seems to me any team that is able to develop the area around their ballpark is able to kind of hide their money away in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I got a question for you both. We found out this week, Apple TV Plus, right? Oh, another streaming service here. Is anybody excited about Major League Games moving to Apple no. TV Plus? Not, other than the owners remotely. who are getting a nice check for it. Not I'm curious about it. I mean, we've already had we've already had YouTube exclusive games. Uh, I, I want to say it's the Giants who have moved a portion of their schedule exclusively to Peacock, NBC's streaming service, and we're heading towards that. I mean, we've already arrived at that point from an entertainment standpoint where everything is exclusive to somebody's streaming service we're going to get there as mlb looks to wring more and more money out of their broadcasting we're going to get there at some point i can't wait to find out that a cubs game is exclusive to paramount plus at some point cbs um i'm curious about it i mean i'm not excited about it i think it's bullshit to put any games on exclusive provider that you know even right now like apple tv plus is not one of the top streaming services that people have. So most people don't have it. Um, they have 200 billions of dollars in dollars of cash just lying around apparently that they could pay for content. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, just to see the production level of it, the broadcasters, yeah. you know, how, because the YouTube games, no offense to that, those look like trash. I'm sorry. Those games, I watched them. I'm glad I never had the Cubs on there, but I watched like a Brewers, you know, Twins game or something. Those games were not well produced. And I know and these games are going to be produced by MLB. Uh, but I, I'm I am curious to see how they are. Yeah, I understand that from a curiosity standpoint. But as you said, the understanding is that these games will be produced by MLB and then carried by Apple TV Plus. I'm not expecting a whole lot in the way of production value. No, and awful broadcasting. Yeah. Um, I can't think of his first name. I want to say Ryan Braun. I know his last name is Braun. He's a studio host. Who am I thinking of? MLB Network. On MLB Braun. Uh, I, I can only okay. think of Amzinger. <laughs> well, Amzinger's uh, just, I mean, it's like... <laughs> you, are, you are thinking of Scott Braun. Scott Braun. Scott okay, Braun. Yeah. So he was doing a lot of those YouTube play-by-play games, and I caught some of the Rockies ones last year. What I don't like about what Major League Baseball does, Major League Baseball Network does with these broadcasts, is it's so shticky. It's like, if you watch the studio programming, Amzinger, Braun, it's like frat boy central, very cringy to somebody like me who's not interested in that. Then they bring that to a broadcast of teams that they're not really watching, right? Like you will never get a national broadcaster that understands the team as well as Boog or uh, Benetti or whoever's with these teams just about every single day. It's never the same when you have a national broadcast like that. So it's just going to be awful. And the fact that we're going to lose some Friday night Chicago Cubs games to a streaming service that I have no interest in and I'm not going to pay money for, it just makes it harder 
to get this sport to more people. And it's all about money. And that stinks. Ronan, that's a lot of the time. One of my primary complaints about national broadcasts is we, we know that, but for a very select few, very dedicated and very well, well-spoken and well-educated broadcasters, nobody's bothering to study up on these teams that they're calling. You get platitudes masquerading as analysis. This guy needs to be more consistent. This guy's been a real spark plug for the lineup. The one guy I'm sure is both simultaneously slumping and being the consistency his team needs all at once. Thanks. Professional A-Rod. hitter. Exactly. Professional hitter. Um, we, I think we've been attributing some of these games to YouTube. I think it was a whole lot worse. They were live on Facebook. Oh, so, God, I don't yeah, even, that. even worse. Um, and a, a neat, a neat, Awful. and I say neat in quotes here, fact about Scott Braun is, um, what a lot of people don't know is that MLB produces, uh, an international broadcast for its biggest events, the all-star mm-hmm. game, the world series, obviously Fox or whomever it is, has exclusivity to that here in the United States, but MLB, uh, produces this international feed that goes basically everywhere else in the world where Fox has no dominion. Um, and Scott Braun is the play-by-play voice for the world feed of the 2021 World Series. And he works alongside Dan Plesak. Oh, so God. Ronan, yeah, it, it could always, <laughs> it could train. always be worse. Talk about blue train, game, right? Nothing says, hey, we're going to make baseball the world's number one sport quite like Dan Plesak. It, yeah. it could always be worse. And I, I got two things I, I want to share on this topic a little bit. Well, first of all, my, my first thing is you mentioned Boog the other day. I, I, you know, a little shout out to Boog being the uh, the new voice of MLB The Show. How about that? Yeah, very cool. I'm taking over from Matt Vaskersian. So, Ronan, you got to get get on that. Get that yeah, uh, the I'm new trying, show. I've been trying to get a PS5 for five years. It feels I know. Like- buy, yourself, buy yourself a Switch. You can play MLB The Show on Switch now, Ronan. And I can I can play you in certain games that I own, too. You can, you can play Ryan. You can play our friend Ryan and his two little boys in Mario cart and they can beat you and you can complain they were cheating yeah and the second thing i wanted to get into to more on topic a little bit was um the field of dream game field of dreams game right you know the cubs are supposed to be playing in it i was skeptical of that you know i didn't think that was be like such a thing we did our behind the yellow line uh you know podcast during that game but i had it on that was awesome that was a great event yes people watched that it was all over twitter that was on fox like that was on network TV. People yeah. watched it. People loved it. They put a marquee event on a marquee on well the fourth you know the fourth major network, but a major network channel, and people it, it blew up Twitter. Like it seems to me that the owners they're all about the quick buck. Major League Baseball as a whole, it's all about the quick buck. It's not necessarily about growing the game. To be honest, it's kind of a cynical and and a kind of take on baseball. It's like well baseball we don't know where it'll be. We're, we can't grow the game and we're not going to be in the future. So we need to get all the money we got out now. Like that's kind of how I feel like all these owners are acting. They're acting like we need to take the quickest buck we can get. And that's very unfortunate. And I think it stinks. And it, it really is kind of crappy to put on a streaming service an exclusivity. Like I'm not a fan of that at all. It, it does kind of seem like when the game has its genuinely wonderful moments, it's in spite of, MLB's best efforts and not because of them. And that's, that's not the perception. That's not the place you want to be in as a league. Well, well I mean, I, I do think they deserve credit for the field of dreams game. I, yeah. I, that played a lot better than I thought it would. I'm going to compliment a group of folks that Randall's not going to be happy. I'm going to compliment uh, Chicago White Sox stepped up big time with that game. Uh, you know, say what you want about that roster. And as a Cubs fan, I don't like when the Sox are good and the Cubs aren't good as it was last year, the players that they have in that lineup, the walk-off home run, they stepped up in that moment. And 
I want the White Sox. I don't want the White Sox to be successful in terms of winning championships. I want the White Sox trying to win games and drawing well on the South side. I want baseball to thrive. I think it would be awesome if we get a Cubs Sox World Series sometime in our lifetime. Avenge for 1906. <laughs> but it was cool to see the White Sox, who don't get a ton of national attention, get the spotlight for a night and own it. And I like Tim Anderson. There's a couple of guys in that White Sox lineup. I'd be more than happy to have them on the Cubs. Cool to see them have that moment out in the corn. You don't want the White Sox to be bad. You don't want them to be really, really good. There's a gray area, and you want them to operate in that gray well, area. I don't want them to be mediocre, which explains a lot of the tenure under Jerry Reinsdorf, other than the last 10 years or so where it was awful. But I want the White Sox to be trying to win. I want the White Sox fan base to grow. Of course I do. I want the Cubs fan base to grow. I want the Rockies fan base to grow. I want the sport to be more popular. I always get jealous when I see games in Japan and the parks are full and the fans are into it and they're having a good time. I want to go there and see baseball in Japan. Then you put on a Pirates game. They're in a majestic jewel of a ballpark and their owner doesn't care about anything except making as much money as he possibly can before he rolls over in the next couple of years. And that's it for Bob Nutting. That okay. sucks when you see that. Hear me out. Franchise trade. MLB <laughs> trades the Pirates to NPB, Nippon Professional Baseball, in exchange for a franchise to be named Nippon. later. I'm, I'm not picky. We can get the Chunichi Dragons, maybe. We can get you uh, Darvish's former uh, Ham Fighters club i think that look i think pirates for ham fighters i think that's a great trade i think mlb and npb need to look into this we already have the posting agreement um in place i think there's already the infrastructure i think we need to look into this first mlb franchise in japan first npb franchise outside of outside of japan i, I think there's i think there's a real potential here and i think both both parties owe it to themselves to look into it well, what's happened to the criminal uh, – sorry, I got ahead of myself. What's happened <laughs> to the Pirates is criminal. This is an old franchise in a wonderful city, great fan base. I know that they haven't drawn very well in our lives. If we were born 20 years earlier, we'd be thinking of the Pirates as, wow, they had some dominant teams over the years, some World Series champions and MVP caliber players. What we've witnessed since the mid-1990s, they had some teams in the early 90s that were very competitive, is appalling. What's happened to the Pittsburgh Pirates? That is a great city, good fan base, one of the best ballparks in baseball. Bob Nutting is everything that's wrong with Major League Baseball. And I hope, not that this hurts the Cubs down the road, but I hope the Pirates have a resurgence in our lifetime because that city and that ballpark deserves it. I totally agree with you. I actually thought, I remember when Bob Nutting took over in 2005, and I was like, you know what? That's good that they got new ownership. I thought this might be a guy who spends. He's really rich. They brought in Neil Huntington, who I thought did a pretty good job. And they built, they kind of built a little bit of a team. They, they had, had Bobby Hill. They, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was talking more like McCutcheon. And, uh, yeah, but then of they course. Didn't do any, they never added to that. Like they built the core and then they just let it go and they never added to it. And that was ridiculous. I do. I, I, I know it's a little bit off topic, but back but more on the lockout. I, I, I did think it was interesting, though, today that uh, our senator, not your senator, Ronan, Dick Durbin tweeted out that uh, he's, he thinks that they should get rid of Major League Baseball's uh, antitrust. Wow. And I think that would be a big deal. I know a lot of the Republicans were very mad, big mad at baseball last year um, about moving the all-star game, uh, making, you know, wanting to get rid of that. And I think, you know, if they could find some bipartisan thing here, because I think getting rid of the antitrust would be a, a huge deal and would actually, and would stop all these, you know, BS that the owners, the owners are protected. 
So like I, I I'm for that, and I'm for uh, our senator Dick Durbin paving his way there, <laughs> tell, tweeting out that the owners need to end the lockout now. That's very interesting. Um, I do want to talk more about antitrust stuff. Future episode. Yeah. Uh, something else I want to talk about on a future episode. We heard that some rule changes planned here for 2023, larger bases, pitch clocks, banning the shift. I feel like that's a long dialogue we can get into. So let's table it for next week. And maybe we'll get some more clarity on what that's going to look like as well. But when I saw extra large bases, I'm like, I know they've tried it in the minors, but what? Weird. So we'll get some thoughts on that next week. Let's talk Cubs, though. Um, we'll start with some good news in the farm, then we'll pivot to some bad news, and we'll wrap up with number 59. Uh, Randall, you're very excited about the future Cubs, assuming that one of these years we get baseball. And one thing that was maybe an <laughs> honest criticism of Theo Epstein and his tenure in Chicago, Cubs really struggled developing pitching. They had hitter after hitter after hitter come through and help build a World Series championship team, but most of the pitching acquired via trades or free agency, guys like John Lackey that sort of put it over the top. Randall, you're excited about five Cubs minor league pitchers in particular. Who do you want to start with or who are some names now that minor league camp has opened that we should be looking out for? Well, yeah, Ronan. Um, obviously, there are no major league players to cover right now, which is unfortunate. We've gone over the myriad of reasons why for the last hour or so. Um, but the minor leaguers are still out there plugging away at it. Minor league camp is officially underway out there in Mesa. And there are uh, a lot of very dedicated reporters who are out there in Mesa on the ground. They are uh, providing us with video. They are providing us with scouting reports. So real quick, I want to recognize the individuals who I basically pulled all this from before we get going. But specifically, that's Maddie Lee at Maddie underscore M underscore Lee, beat writer for the Sun-Times. Jordan Bastion at ML Bastion, who is, of course, the MLB.com beat writer for the Cubs. Megan Montemoro uh, at M underscore Montemoro, the beat writer for the Tribune. Sahadev Sharma at Sahadev Sharma, who, of course, writes for The Athletic. And then someone I was not all that familiar with, but he is uh, doing just as much work on these players as anybody. And that's Lance Brozdowski, who is at Lance Braz on Twitter and he is billed as the Cubs player analyst for marquee. And yeah. these are all individuals who are out there on the ground in Mesa, giving us photos, giving us video, giving us scouting reports. So here are five pitchers in the Cubs minor league system who I've identified as being of note. And of course the list is much longer than these five, but these are five names that jump out at me and who I think will be worth watching this year. First and foremost is the 2021 uh, Cubs organization, minor league pitcher of the year. And that's DJ hers left-handed pitcher he's an eighth round pick in 2019 he made 20 starts combined between uh low a myrtle beach and high a south bend in 2021 in 62 and a third innings pitched he struck out 105 batters that's 14.4 strikeouts per nine he has a fastball that sits 94 to 96 he's working on a curveball and jeremy i know you'll appreciate this you've probably seen it already he's tweaking his changeup, and he's working on of course the vulcan grip for the changeup and Ronan, I see you doing the Vulcan grip too. Yeah. I don't know if you're imitating Jeremy or if you Spock just enjoy... was a great pitcher. Scott Spock was fan. a great pitcher. Okay, all right, track. all right. You know, I mean, infinite. The Vulcans infinite... dominated that DS9 episode. They did. They did dominate, but you know they they couldn't control their emotions when DS9 scored the one run, and it, that was their undoing. But of course, the Vulcan changeup, infinite diversity and infinite pitch conf combinations. So he's working on a changeup with this 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 grip, two fingers on either side. Again, this is a guy who's going to move up. He finished last season at South Bend. 
he, I would imagine he probably starts the 2022 season there with an eye on moving him up and all of these pitchers, you would think there's probably an eye on moving them up if they can prove that the performance is consistent and real. So that's number one, DJ hers. Number two, Ryan Jensen, of course, the Cubs highly publicized first round pick in 2019. He also made 20 starts in 2021. That was between South Bend, double A Tennessee. And of course, in the AFL, he is velocity in the Cubs system. He has a four seam fastball that sits in the mid nineties. It touches the upper nineties. He has a two seamer that he slow throws in the low to mid nineties. And he has a slider. The results haven't completely been there for him, but he has the arm. He has the velocity. And of course he has the first round pick to his name. And again, he finished last season at double a. And when you're at double a, you are a phone call away from the majors. If there are you're majors, sniffing it, Randall, you're sniffing it. You're that close. You're that's right. So if there are majors this year and you're at double A and you're performing well, you're a phone call away. Speaking of being at double A, and this is a name that we've talked about a lot, and we're going to, I hope, keep talking about this name, and that's Caleb Killian. Uh, One of the pieces they got back from San Francisco in the Chris Bryant deal, he pitched primarily at double A in 2021. This is another guy with a great arm. He primarily throws a sinker and a cutter. He's topped out at 98 in the Arizona Fall League, which is fantastic. And this is a stat that jumped out at me in a hundred and a thirds innings pitched last season. He allowed only 75 hits and 13 walks. And that's excellent. Absolutely. That's the guy, Randall, I'm most excited about. I'm eager to get the players you mentioned, but that one, and you needed to nail the Chris Bryant trade, and boy, I hope they did. Absolutely. And again, that's a name that you're going to keep hearing um, as he continues to move up the ladder. He's 24, so he's not necessarily uh, a young prospect, but he's got the velocity, he's got the skills, he's going to keep moving up. The next name is a name that I was fortunate enough to see in person, Jordan Wicks, the first round pick in 2021 for his pro debut for the South Bend Cubs. He pitched one inning. It's the most exciting inning I saw in person all year. Um, He is a left-handed pitcher. He's a polished college pitcher out of Kansas state and, you know, polished pitchers tend to start pretty high up in the system. There's some speculation. He could start as high as Tennessee when this season starts. I tend to think they'll probably put him at uh, they'll probably keep him at South Bend for a couple starts and maybe move him up. But still, that's what college polish does for you is it allows you to start higher up because you have a lot less developing to do his repertoire. He doesn't throw quite as hard. He's ditching his two seamer for a four seamer because it allows him to work up in the zone with that four seam fastball much more efficiently. He's developing his curveball from less of a slurve, more of a slider slidery breaking ball into a big overhand vertical 12 to six curveball. And even when he was drafted, the scouts raved about his changeup, which has been called devastating and the best changeup in his class. So that's very much a name to watch in 2022. And uh, two more names here real quick. The fifth out of five on my list, that's Daniel Palencia. He's younger, acquired from Oakland in the Chafin deal. He made seven starts at Myrtle Beach in 2021, 38 strikeouts and 27 innings pitched. He's primarily a two-pitch guy. He has a fastball that sits in the upper 90s, touches 100, and he throws a curveball. The, the, the pitch mix would probably suggest he ends up in the bullpen eventually, but that's still, that's nothing to sneeze at, is a guy who throws 100 and has a curveball out of the bullpen. Yeah. And then finally, an honorable mention to Cole Franklin, who is a six-round pick in 2018. He's not pitched in a game since 2019. 2020, of course, a lost season for most minor league players. 2021, he dealt with uh, injuries the entire season, did not get into a minor league game. He threw a live bullpen this past weekend in Mesa. And as I was navigating another working Saturday, occasionally I'd pop onto Twitter and see the reporters giving us the video. Cole Franklin was sitting 97 to 99 
in that live bullpen session. Now, again, that's live bullpen. There's no pacing yourself. There's no necessarily working on your, your mix. You're just out there letting it fly to batters, but still 97 to 99 is nothing to sneeze at. And that's not a guarantee of success, but you can never have too many guys who are capable of running it up there at that velocity. So those are my five five names plus an honorable mention to watch in the system this year. And a lot of these guys are guys who could move up very quickly. And I think yeah. Killian and Wicks specifically, I think you are going to see move up very quickly in the Cubs system. I think you could see both of them making major league debuts. If there are major leagues in which to debut <laughs> um, as early as 2023, if not maybe very late in 2022, I think 2022 probably a little aggressive, but I don't think 2023 is, is uh, unrealistic for either of those names. So those are five pitching names to watch and an honorable mention in the Cubs system this year. Randall, do uh, you know, I have one of your favorites. Do you know who Cole Franklin's uncle is? I do not, but I suspect I'm going to like this answer. Maybe I'm not going to like this answer. You use favorite very oddly sometimes. Well, we'll see. Is the former uh, St. Louis Cardinal and Seattle Mariner, Ryan Franklin, uh, oh, yeah. former relief pitcher. And I remember Cole him, number, number 31. I remember him. Cole Franklin's father, Ryan, Ryan Franklin's brother, is actually a, an agent. A very... Uh, prominent uh baseball agent so cole franklin has a lot of experience knowing uh major league baseball and minor league baseball and baseball in general so he's a guy i'm excited for too see him come out you know throw a 97 99 i think that was pretty cool you know uh, they drafted him out of high school in oklahoma so um and hers I, I i think hers is very interesting because a lot of reports on him are like he's kind of funky or whatever that he might actually end up in the bullpen but he's been so successful as a pitcher that it's just I, I just want to see how how successful can he be? Can he keep going? And and like those strikeout numbers are absolutely insane. Yeah, it's awesome, awesome to see that. Randall, really good stuff there, giving us reason for optimism with regards to Cubs arms over the next couple of years. Um, something the Cubs have done well has, particularly in the bullpen, they've made it work with guys that you didn't think were going to work out. So once these guys can matriculate up to the major leagues and then Tommy Hadovy can get his hands on them, that's going to be really fun to see these players develop and hopefully some World Series heroes for the Cubs here down the road. I got to ask you though, Randall, use an adjective there that I like, caught my attention, devastating. Do you have any attributes that you describe as devastating? Uh, my razor sharp wit, Ronan. Okay. I, have a de- I, have a, I have a devastating deadpan. I like it, Randall. I like it. Uh, I have a couple other ones, but I don't think they're appropriate for the play. So I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, I, I want to. Con- I just want to say I think Randall did a good job there. I think he was yeah. very informed. Very. I, I was very. I was enthralled listening to him. Good job, the Randall. man. Likes minor league baseball, and uh, I know that if the Cubs are not playing deep into April and into May, you're going to see Randall in places like South Bend, Indiana watching some minor league Cubs baseball. And there's going to be some talent there to see Randall. I've not been to the ballpark in South bend. I've been all over Indiana. I've seen minor league games in Indianapolis. I've seen college games in places like Terre Haute, Wolf and Evansville, Indiana. How's the ballpark in South Bend? It looks like a nice place. It is. It is a very nice ballpark. The Cubs obviously have put a lot of money into it since uh, affiliating with South bend. And that's not surprising at all. It behooves the Cubs to have this state of the art training facility and performance center um, only a two hour drive basically from Wrigley. It's a very nice ballpark. I've been fortunate to be there yeah. twice now and uh, I would go back there anytime. South Bend games are fun. Great views from all over the ballpark. Uh, pretty decent food as minor league park go. Um, yeah, it's a very nice ballpark. I recommend everyone go out there. Uh, South Bend Cubs games are a wonderful time. And if you yeah. ask nicely, they provide you emergency nachos during a rain delay. 
That's always good. looking out for you, Randall. You know, I called a college baseball game years ago at Notre Dame. That was cool. Nice to see the Irish. Uh, pretty good baseball program these days. But uh, good optimism there, Randall, with regards to Cubs future pitchers. I want to hold off on some of the hitters till next week. Tease that one more time for you. Lots of excitement right now, in particular, around Pete Crow Armstrong, Kevin Alcantara. Uh, one of the things that Marquis highlighted today, new batting stance from Brendan Davis. He had that incredible year last year. He's still tweaking what he's got. They think even more power is coming from him. So we'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about some of those bats. Let's talk big league team here for a minute. We got some Chicago Cubs Major League Baseball news here in the last couple of days, but it's bad news, really, really bad news. Cody Hoyer, the young pitcher that came over from the White Sox as part of the Craig Kimbrell deal, out, picture of him in a hospital bed, a huge brace on his arm, Tommy John surgery. So what this means for Hoyer, no 2022, and he's going to miss a good chunk of 2023 as well. So this is a dent here. The Cubs bullpen was something we were feeling kind of optimistic about going into the year. And now one of those arms we were looking forward to, Cody Hoyer, is out of the mix. Yeah, it's disappointing. Like, because that's a guy we want to see guys that the Cubs, you know, the Cubs traded all these players. And we want to see the returns early. And yeah. the only real returns early we're going to see are Nick Madrigal, who's coming off an injury, and possibly Cody Hoyer. And unfortunately, now Cody Hoyer is now one of those guys. Yeah. Um, I, I will say it's good that he had five years of service that time, I guess, or he has five years left of service time, um, of c control that the Cubs have. So this, this isn't, it's not like they traded, uh, Kimbrell got a guy back. He had Tommy John and he's gonna be a free agent. So I guess that's good. Um, but it's disappointing, you know, cause Cody Hoyer was obviously a guy that we really wanted to see, um, play and, and the guy we thought, you know, the Cubs can really do something with the, he has good stuff. He gets ground balls. Um, and so I really thought that he could be a big part of the bullpen, but yeah, we'll have to wait till 2023. Yeah. yeah the, Hoyer's a player who even got some save opportunities, uh, after coming over last season and yeah, Tommy John, it, it's not the kiss of death. It used to be lots of guys come back with their full velocity, full repertoire, full pitch arsenal, but so it's not quite a coin flip, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate. As you said, it takes guys out for a year to a year and a half. That's a lot of development time lost, especially for a reliever where you're not going out there and pitching six or seven innings each time. So it's unfortunate. And if the Cubs are to compete in 2022, that's a very useful bullpen weapon who is yeah. completely out of the picture. It's not a shoulder soreness where maybe he can come back midseason. No, no, he's he's out until at least the spring of 2023. And that's unfortunate. And, and one thing, this is a little off topic, but that I would like to, uh, I know Randall kind of enjoy this. Uh, you know, I, I did, I did find that Jack Eichel quote from about Tommy John surgery today, pretty amusing Jack Eichel, uh, national hockey league player who won against his, uh, advice of this teams and got his own surgery. And he said, you know, it was a bit like that baseball player who was the first one to get Tommy John surgery. And it was, it was just funny. Like, Oh yeah, that guy who got Tommy, the first guy to get Tommy John surgery, who could that possibly be? Right. Yeah. That's just a, just a fantastic quote. The verbatim here, he goes, I mean, there was a baseball player who was the first guy to get a Tommy John. And that's, that's just such a fantastic quote. 
it, you know, it's like where, you know, who is, who's buried in Grant's tomb. Yeah. Just what, what, a, what a great, what a great quote. Maybe well, maybe Cody Hoyer's that guy. He's the guy that got the Tommy John that he's referring to. Maybe yeah. it's, it's, so it's Cody it's, Hoyer. It's, it's, it's Cody, Cody it Hoyer. Surgery gotta bring yeah. it back. You go off topic, but then you gotta bring it back. So yeah, Cody you gotta Hoyer. tie it back home. Exactly. Awesome. Hoyer's only 25. Jeremy, to your point, lots of team control left. It's not the end of his career here, but it's a divot and it stinks that we're not to get to see him this year. Pitched about 30 innings last season for the Cubs and was going to be one of their top arms this year. I think what's also disappointing about it is there were pictures and videos of him as recent as January 18 throwing. So he's doing his off-season workouts. He's getting ready for the season. Then the injury hits, and now he's going to be sidetracked. Um, if you want to be super optimistic, you could say, okay, his arm's going to come back healthier than ever. He's going to be ready to go when the Cubs are moving more into what should be very competitive years in 2023 and 2024, but you never want to see a guy go down with an injury like this. And it is a grueling recovery process for a player. He will not be ready for opening day next year. To be optimistic, you're talking May, maybe even June before he's in a big league uniform for the Cubs. We're not talking this year. We're talking 2023. So uh, that stinks and disappointing for Hoyer, but a lot of interesting arms. The Cubs bullpen, uh, Manuel Rodriguez, someone I'm certainly looking forward to. Saw his first big league save here in Denver and plenty of other arms that we're going to be watching as the season gets rolling. I uh, want to bring it home with this. This is our 59th podcast. We're getting up there. We're getting into Sammy Sosa territory here in terms of uh, home runs. But number 59 is not a number that's been worn by uh, very many Cubs. Less than 15 or so, just kind of looking at the list here on CubsByTheNumbers.com. But the one name that jumped out to me, and I've been talking blisters, and I've been excited to tell this, Ishmael Valdez, the Cubs starter back in 2000. So much excitement about him coming to the Cubs. All those years he had in Los Angeles, very good player. He just never got right with the Cubs. And one of the things that derailed that was the persistent blister problems that he had. And if there's one thing that kind of sticks in my memory from 22 years ago at this point, I remember all the reports of what he was doing to try and overcome the blisters. And one of the things that he did, he didn't go the alu route, peeing on his hands. Yeah. He would soak his hands in rice. That's something you do apparently if blisters are a problem. Didn't necessarily work out for Ishmael Valdez and he didn't have a long tenure with the Cubs, but 59, Ishmael's up there for me as a memorable 59 in a Cubs uniform. How about Patrick Wisdom in 2020, a uh, 59 yeah. that I would never would have thought of, you know, getting a couple games in 2020 and then the all-time Cubs rookie home run leader uh, in 2021. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wisdom did make his Cubs debut in 59. I'm glad he switched to 16 because I, I don't like high numbers on infielders. I think the higher the number that gets, the more it should be constrained to pitchers and especially relief pitchers at that. There's 159 here that uh, does jump out at me. And this is a name probably not going to spec. That's Zach Ross cup. Zach Ross cup came up with the Cubs. He was a relief pitcher. And my one enduring Zach Ross cup memory is there was a game against the Cardinals in late September of 2015. We all remember the excitement of that team. They were not just in the playoff hunt. They were very good. That team won, was it 97 games? In 2015. So you have a game against yeah. your, your hated rivals at Wrigley. Uh, this it was their 87th win. And there had been some, uh, there had been some hit by pitches in this game to the point where Hector Rondon came in the closer at that time, he comes in in the top of the ninth and he very unintentionally 
hits the first Cardinals batter. And it was a breaking pitch. The Cardinals batter took no offense. And the umpire had to politely come out and tell Hector Andone his services were no longer required, that he had to be ejected because warnings had been issued with all the hit-by-pitches earlier in the game. So Hector Andone politely leaves the game. In comes Zach Roscup, uh, nursing a Cubs lead. He immediately gives up a two-run homer to Matt Carpenter. Uh, to bring the game that much closer. He gives up singles to the next two batters, Tommy Pham and some guy named Jason Hayward. He mm. finally gets his first out on uh, striking out Johnny Peralta. Of course, Yadier Molina manages to bring the game within one run with a sacrifice fly to short right field, which is the only place Yadier Molina ever hits it. Pedro Strope is in the game at this point because Zach Rouskup could not quite cut the mustard and Strope had his bacon pulled out by a, a diving play on the infield. But that's my enduring Zach, enduring Zach Rouskup memory is that he came in in relief of Hector Rondon in a, a save spot and he could not quite get it done. But Zach Rouskup, you've been with a lot of teams since then. Um, so a, a prosperous continued uh, career to you, Mr. Zach yeah. Roscoe. He pitched in 2021. I would, you know, I remember just thinking, what if, I think we might have seen him in Colorado. And I was like, I can't believe this guy's still in the league. Yeah. And he's still pitching in 2021. Uh, acquired for Matt Garza, or, or excuse me, acquired with Matt Garza, acquired with Matt Garza um, when he get, was acquired from Tampa Bay. Uh, uh, he was the prospect the Cubs got in that trade along with Matt Garza. You are correct, Jeremy, as you so often are. Not a ton of other names that jump up with number no, 59 not really. Rodney Myers, not Randy mm -hmm. Myers, Rodney Myers, who had a couple years with the Cubs in the late nineties. Uh, that's one of them. And then a bunch of coaches going back to the 1960s and a little bit more recent in the early two thousands. Juan Lopez, a coach from the Oh three and Oh six part of Dustin bullpen coach. Yeah. Yeah. And Devon 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 in 2007 uh, as part of loose staff. So pretty cool to see that, but it's getting kind of tight here. These next couple of weeks, uh, there were 12 players and coaches in Cubs history that wore number 59, just counted it, cut that in half or so for number 60, and then really thins out here as we work up through the sixties. But it's something that we have discussed on the show. I am ready for major league players to start really embracing some of these higher numbers. We've seen it in the last couple of years, uh, even the Puigs of the world and uh, Advert with the Cubs right now. I love these players embracing the high numbers, making it their own. It's hard to do that with a number in the 20s or the 30s that's been worn all of these years. If I'm a major leaguer, 99. That's the number I'm taking. Not many Cubs have worn that. Want my own number. I want my own number hanging from the banners, not shared numbers, right? That's what I'm looking for. You, Todd Hundley, and Sotaguchi. That's right. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> like me and Todd Hundley. That's the company that you always want to be in. Uh, anything else we can think of here before we bring this thing home today? You know, hopefully supposedly they're talking through the night tonight and yeah, that, that that's all I can say. I, you know, no one would believe me. No one would ever believe me for a second. If I said I'm done with baseball and I wouldn't blame them one bit. I would not believe me for a second if I said I was done with baseball, but this is, this is taking the wind out of my sails. Honestly, I'm at the point where I have zero interest in the day-to-day -day negotiations. I have zero interest in the back and back and forth ping pong game. And part of that is the fact that labor negotiations are not exciting. Uh, they're not meant to be exciting, especially for people like us who aren't really affected on a lifestyle level by these labor negotiations. They're not meant to be exciting. They're necessary. But I've, I've lost all interest in the negotiating process. I'm at the point where wake me up when it's done and I can react to this, this, this and this. The process itself, I've lost all interest in. Well, I, I can't wait for it to get done because 
it's going to be when it does get done and it will have to get done at some point. Yeah. It will be absolutely insane. It, it's all it's gonna going light to on be fire. absolutely insane. You're going to have major baseball players. I feel for the mid tier guys because they'll probably be left out. But you're going to have major baseball players making major deals at, yeah. at, as quick as they can, like Carlos Correa, Chris Bryant, lots of guys out there. They're going to have to sign as fast as they can to get somewhere within 20 days or so before they start playing baseball games. They're, they're just going to host road rallies. First player to get to this building and sign the contract gets exactly. the money. Well, guys, I took a stand today. I want to end with this short little story here. I did something that I think was right, even though it's probably going to burn me here if this thing gets worked out and opening day is April 14. So if opening day is April 14, the Cubs are in Denver. Opening day here is a very big deal. Uh, that is the one game all season that you can count on paying over face value to get into the ballpark. So when the word broke today that the season was getting pushed back and the original home opener against the Dodgers was canceled, I'm like, God damn it, what am I going to do here? I went to Rockies.com. I clicked on the Thursday night game. I found a ticket for $16 in the upper deck. And I thought, you know what, Ronan, pull the trigger on this. You're going to have a ticket to the ballpark. When this is announced as opening day, those prices are going to double, triple, quadruple. You don't want to be in a spot that you're either not able to go to opening day or you got to pay like $100 to get into the ballpark. I couldn't do it, though. I could not give Dick Montfort a penny today. Makes sense. I just I didn't have it in me. I have my credit card in my hand. I'm like, that's 20 bucks with fees. Like, I can cover this. The principle of it, I could not give him money. I went back about 30 minutes later. The game right now is listed as sold out. There were thousands of tickets in the ballpark earlier today. I'm not worried about the Friday game, the Saturday game, the Sunday game, assuming that these things happen. I'll probably find a way to get into that Thursday game as well. But I took a stand today, boys. I'm not giving Dick Montfort a penny until this thing's worked out. And then what can I do? I like baseball. I'm going to go to the ballpark. He's going to get plenty of my money. I think that was still the right thing to do today. I, I respect your principled stand, Ronan. I do. Um, so what you're saying is the prices didn't just get high. They went a mile high. <laughs> well, they disappeared. They, all the tickets are sold out now yeah. because it's opening day, assuming it still stands. That's that's um, tough, man. That's tough. That's really tough. I, it's tough just because it's the Cubs, right? Like, yeah. you know, and they only come once yeah. a year to, to Denver, and hopefully that doesn't get canceled. Um, you know, like I had that same situation here with I was thinking about buying all the games and then I'm like, why, why am I paying for this when we don't even know what's going to get canceled? But it's a little different situation when you're like, okay, they get one chance a year and it's going to be opening day. I, I, I know I probably would have bit the bullet on that one, but I respect your decision not to. I, I can't do it. Uh, McGregor Square here, which is about two blocks from my apartment. Uh, they've got shops, restaurants, bars from time to time. I go over there, enjoy myself, not getting a penny until this thing's worked out. And then I'll go back over to the bookstore over there, tattered cover that I like getting into. Uh, it's just a principle. You got to make a stand somewhere. I'm not buying anything from fanatics.com. I'm not renewing my MLB TV subscription. I have to do something as a fan until inevitably these bastards get my money again. Yeah. Well, they, the MLB.TV kind of saw, probably saw all the people canceling and then they're like, Oh, you won't actually, you know, you don't owe any money until there's a deal done. So I never canceled mine because there's no money. I did. They didn't charge me. Um, but, uh, you know, and speaking of the Rockies, though, just more nonsense coming out of the Rockies today. Oh, big time. Big time nonsense. Firing their guy, assistant GM they hired or to take over their analytics department, who they hired like five months ago. They haven't even yeah. played a game yet. They fired him already over differences of opinion or whatever. So just the Rockies, just just total mess. 
The Rockies not, research and development staff not is a well five, five guys. Yeah, they have five people running their research and development in 2022 with a Major League Baseball team. Total scam. Well, it's it's Dick Montfort. I think what was it, 2020 when he said that. You know, if you looked at all the numbers, you can interpolate uh, 94 wins that the Rockies are a 94. He did. He team. did say that. What a what a what a great statement I, on the part of the owner. That would inspire I, nothing but confidence in me. This new guy probably, you know, found out the interpolation was a load of crap. And, you know, the thing about the new guy, he came from Washington. He was promoted within the national system. He was a big part of their World Series championship. He came to Denver and he goes, I really vetted it because if you're going to go take over research and development for a baseball team, it's not about even how many people are in your front office, but what financial resources are being spent long-term. This is like longer-term planning as you try and build out and sustain a winner. Gone. Five months after he comes in here. I'll say this too. There's a law here in Colorado that when you post jobs, you have to post the salary. That's awesome. It should be that way everywhere. It sucks. You're looking for jobs. You're applying for jobs. You have no idea what they're going to be offering you salary-wise, it exposes what front office salaries are for the Colorado Rockies. It is appalling, the money that they spend for some of these roles. The hours that the jobs are required and the income that these people are getting to work for a Major League Baseball team, it makes my blood boil seeing it. And I work with sport management students who want to get a career in this, and it's tough going, you could work a job that's going to require 70 to 80-hour weeks for the Colorado Rockies, traveling, Home games, road games, missing all of these family events for $45,000 a year. Appalling the salaries for some of these positions. Yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the reason why baseball clubs look the way they do. Um, because, and then, you know, Theo's talked about it, Jed's talked about it. Um, you know, there's so much demand, you know, for those jobs. So, you know, the teams take advantage of that. A lot of demand, then everybody wants it. People are going to be willing to do it for less. And it's why a lot of, you know, front offices are of a certain type of guys that come from certain backgrounds, you know, Ivy league guys, guys that can afford to take less money and yeah. do it. Cause they come from, you know, knowing that they can handle that. Whereas other people that have struggled their way up, worked hard, you know, they can't afford to take those jobs and it's a problem. Yeah. Well, it's a mess here in Denver. As I look out at that beautiful ballpark across the street. Uh, but good stuff here. And number 59 in the books. We'll be back next week uh, or sooner. If this thing gets worked out, we'll do an emergency pod. Jeremy, I know you're on the road for a couple of days. So Randall, may just be you and I this weekend popping in here with a quick update. Listen, I hope that's the case. Let's get a resolution here. Let's get baseball back in the mix. We have so much to talk about. I'm sick of talking about these owners. Let's talk about the oh, players for a while. 100%. I'm on your side. Nothing says emergency pod like you and I, Roman. Like that's yeah. the definition of an emergency pod. I'm ready. I'll Randall. be listening. I'll be listening. Well, safe travels, Jeremy, Randall. Be ready. Be ready. Uh, it will be devastating if you're not there to do the podcast with me. We'll be back next week for number 60 right here on Behind the Yellow Line.